I'm Scott Rada. And I'm Rick Kite. And we have some big news to share. The Ethical Life podcast now will have a new show available each week. As our thousands of loyal listeners know, our show is a place where we talk about the intersection of ethics and modern life. Over the past 18 months, we've had conversations about a variety of issues that range from our nation's leaders to that difficult boss at work, always reminding people why ethics truly matter in today's world. And we also try to have a bit of fun while we're at it. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ethical Life Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Streamed and Screened, a product of Lee Enterprises. It's a podcast about movies and TV shows that are coming out that you should be watching, or in, in some cases, maybe not, I suppose. But this weekend, or this episode about this coming weekend is loaded with a whole bunch of stuff that we're legitimately excited for. Nothing to really, really talk negatively about. I am Chris Lay. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee. But we, we have Bruce Miller, as always here. Bruce, a longtime entertainment journalist uh, and the current editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. Hello. And also coming in from Sioux City, working for the Sioux City Journal, we have Jared Nett, who's a reporter there and uh, just a great guy. Are you sure about that? Look, that old Mission Impossible, I saw that stupid trailer and whoa, it's a series of drone shots and it could have been outtakes from any of the other past films. Oh, All that is. and the worst part about it, it says <laughs> part one, part yep. one. That's ridiculous. Yep. Let's back this up just a moment uh, to, <laughs> to hit the ground. <laughs> running uh, as opposed to in, in mid-leap. The the new Mission Impossible trailer has just come out uh, less than a week before the new Top Gun movie comes out. And um, Jared, before we started recording, was already telling me that he's watched the, the new Mission Impossible trailer uh, a dozen times. And Bruce is uh, obviously in the, the complete opposite direction on this. <laughs> enough, enough. We've waited how many years for Top Gun? I was young when that thing was going to come out and this net one now, and they're putting in there, honest to God, I thought I was going to die at the end when I saw part one. No, <laughs> no, you are not doing that to me. Do either of you know if it, if the part one identifier was always part of the plan or if it was something that the pandemic necessitated? As far as I know, this was kind of the plan for at least a little while. And then the second part of it, which is probably going to be 2024 is going to be the, the last one, because I guess even uh, Tom Cruise knows he can't do some of these stunts forever, even though he would like to if possible. But they look like the same ones. It looks like the same junk he does all the time, just jumping and leaping and running. That's the same stuff. Well, there are there are some uh, some new ripples though. There's a, a a literal train going off the tracks, which is a uh, a nice hat tip to uh, the Buster Keaton movie, The General. So they did that for this movie. They ran a real train off of some train tracks in like Poland, I think. And you get Tom Cruise being a horse soldier out in the desert. That's pretty nifty. So there's there's some there's some new stuff, and then you have a classic jumping off a cliff and. A lot of uh, motorcycle stunts because the man loves motorcycles going yes. all the way back to, I think, every single Mission Impossible. Since Top Gun. Yeah, since Top Gun. You know, the, the little plot that they kind of dropped, 
has something to do with politics now. And you wait a couple of years and it may not be so relevant anymore. The idea that, you know, oh, do you go on the side of truth or do you go on the other side or whatever it was that they were trying to push there. It's like, mm, okay, we're seeing this every night kind of unfold. I don't think I'm ready for that in the movie theater. <laughs> well, that that is definitely tough for like a series that's gone on as long as this has. Like you do have to keep upping the stakes. And at a certain point, like you're going to get to a place where it's like, well, now we have to up it to like intangible concepts being like under attack. <laughs> Mission Impossible and the Multiverse of Madness. Is that going to be, yeah. we're going to meet I think uh, it's it. <laughs> Earth 616 Tom Cruise. <laughs> In the old days, it used to be the Russians were always our enemy. That was the thing. And then Russians became kind of friendly with us. So we couldn't make them the villain. So then it became like Middle East people somewhere there. We, you know, a country that they made up, they didn't know what it was. Then it became, you know, oh, maybe it's insurgents and people that are trying to change everything. Now, who knows who it is? It's probably Fox News. That's probably who's behind all this. Well, part of the, I mean, this is one of the more interesting aspects of this level of budgetary, you know, blockbuster films is that the political stuff has to be okay with China. <laughs> you know, yep. there's a certain, uh, you know, stranglehold that they have because they, actually allow these movies to come out but require a certain uh, you know political appeasements on behalf of uh, the government there those people do a lot of movies so that's why they want to make sure it can open there they want to make sure yeah. they're not a villain there was um there was like a new york times article not too long ago and i know it was on on their podcast uh daily but it was you know all about how like they're they're kind of doing their own movie industry now and things that you know don't really come out in in America and they don't necessarily need American films anymore or at least the the audience is being divided evenly so there's not nearly as much uh you know a, of, of the the Chinese currency you know to be hitting American movies that are coming out there as opposed to uh, elsewhere to that point Chris like uh because I was just double checking Two of the 10 highest grossing movies in 2021 were movies that were in China and barely had any like ripple over here at all. There was uh, one that was like an action movie, uh, The Battle at Lake Chanjin. And then there was like a goofy detective movie that was like the third in a series that also was like one of the top 10 highest grossing movies anywhere in the world uh, last year. Yeah. So, yeah. yep. So we don't need The Rock and uh, whoever else to to be taming things or, you know, pulling things back for, for the sake of the Chinese government anymore, maybe, but, you know, we're still the, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we can't really make them the boogeyman in the movies in the same way that, you know, we used to be able to, because we, we rely on their, their money too much. So I guess speaking of militarization and, and Tom <laughs> Cruise, we can, we can certainly transition pretty easily into Top Gun, which everyone I know all three of us are pretty excited about, and it seems like the the reviews are that are coming in are stellar. I know the the audience at CinemaCon got to see it a few weeks ago and absolutely lost their minds. Uh, all of the the other reviewers that I've seen uh, who have laid eyes on it, at, at the very least, are excited for the the blockbusterness of it. And it seems like Tom Cruise absolutely crushed it in his uh, PR blitz over at uh, Con. Uh, last week too so they full effect now for the final uh, push before this movie comes out 
I've had people stop me and tell me that they're so excited they got to get tickets for the special Tuesday night screening. They're all thrilled that they got in somehow. I didn't realize there was this huge rush to get into this thing, but yeah, they're they're excited to go Tuesday night because then they'll beat everybody before the weekend and they can have that, oh yeah, I saw that a long time ago attitude, you know? So, you know, it is what it is. It's one of those old fashioned blockbustery films that we missed and the pandemic changed everything for us. And I think we want that kind of reset that comes from seeing a film like this. And no matter how kind of obvious it is and it's plotting, because you know what's going to happen. You know, you know that we're going to see the goose relative. We know that we're going to see the Iceman somehow. We know that we're going to see some kind of relationship that's fallen apart. There's a lot in there. And I, I wouldn't doubt that there's a death. And all of this then kind of comes together in to make you think, yeah, remember when movies were really good and it was just because you liked it the first time around. That's all it is. So I think it'll be a good blockbuster reset and it might get people to go to theaters again. And that's a good thing. At this point, like, are there, who's another analog to, to Tom Cruise being in movies that are just like this big of a deal every time they come out? Do we have anybody else like that left? Well, The Rock is, is big. He's mm-hmm. big. And, you know, those Fast and Furious kids are still hanging in there. So, But those are group efforts. Like these, it's all about him. Like his name is bigger than like Top Gun in the some of the promotion. <laughs> He's what you call a real movie star. Yep. A movie star opens a film without no matter what it is. And you, we had Kevin Costner at one point and we had, you know, a lot of those, uh, Arnold was big. Yeah. Um, but I think we've kind of gone away from that. And that's part of the marvelization of movies is that you can spread the blame if it's not good. If there's a lot of people in the cast, you can say, well, it might not have been my fault. It was somebody else's fault. Or you can share the wealth if it's a real big hit. You know, nobody wants to really go out there, put their neck out and say, I'd like to be above the title alone. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I mean, to talk about, stars that are on that level i think anyone and not to you know hit on on china again but anyone who's had to do an apology tour for saying something you know or walk back some you know statements about the uyghurs or whatever because i know like i mean john cena has had to you know go on an apology tour for that anyone who the studio has had to lean on for you know pr scenarios is in that realm and i mean tom cruise just knows how to play the game and people were joking about this even too, that like, it doesn't even necessarily seem like he loves movies that much because like he got asked about what some of his favorite movies were. And he was very cagey about like, what are some like good movies he's watched recently. So in some ways it seems like when he's not making movies, he's just like in a hermetically sealed tank or something. And he's only like deployed to go and do these movies that cost like hundreds of millions of dollars and are huge box office like things. And that's it. <laughs> I'll be interested to see where he goes after this because he is someone who I know that we, we've talked about Nicole Kidman a lot and how, you know, her, uh, her acting, you know, career is, is legitimately underrated. But I mean, Tom Cruise is on that list of guys who've, who've worked with incredible filmmakers and it genuinely, like I say this without any irony, but 
Tom Cruise should have won an Oscar by now. I mean, he's he, he has acted the hell out of so many roles. I want to see him do another Collateral. I that's one of my favorite movies with him in it, if not maybe my favorite in terms of like the performance that he gives. And like maybe now that he like gets to do one more Top Gun and gets to do two more Mission Impossible movies, maybe he'll like start doing those again. That would be wonderful. Him in Magnolia. Him in the it was the uh, the Color of Money, the, the Scorsese one. I mean, there's. You know, going all the way back to you know, born on the fourth of July. Uh, I mean, he's he's been chasing that for a long time, and I would I would love to see him really turn it up and and try to not actively chase Oscar because it seems like they they can smell it on you. Um, not to personify the Academy too much, but just do the like the small movies, you know, that Coppola and you know George Lucas were always talking about. After we do our big budget things, we want to do little movies for us. So yeah, Top Gun. We are all super excited for that. The way to see that is on the biggest screen possible. Part of the the narrative around the first Top Gun is that they the the Air Force, you know, received basically wrote basically wrote the movie. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, but they're you know the um, you know rec- like recruitment in in the Air Force and the Navy just like you know skyrocketed immediately following that film. And I'm wondering if this is going to because we're certainly in a, in a much more a much more different world than than the one where you know the first top gun came out so i'm i'm intrigued to see where the the larger political uh you know geo warfare (laughs) uh stuff kind of plays in uh because it seems like drones have really taken over a lot of the real world missions where stuff like this would play the same role I, i don't know if the you know fighter plane hotshots are nearly as highly regarded as and I'm, I'm i'm sure that i'm overgeneralizing and i'm you know completely talking out of my rear as far as what the you know technical aspects of it are not not everyone is just piloting these these planes from a you know windowless box in in kansas but <laughs> <laughs> i'm intrigued to follow to follow that narrative down um so the other one that's coming out uh well for- i want i just may add one more on this yes please I really wonder who will emerge as a star of this. We know that he's there, but if you look, John Hamm is in it as kind of an evil guy. At least he looks like he's an evil guy. Could this do something for John Hamm's career? You know, Glenn Powell, another one. What about Miles Teller? Are these all ones who are gonna be the next big thing? It could be because they're in supporting roles, if you will, to Tom but they also have the ability to kind of make a big splash if they want to. Yeah. So that'll be fun to see how that shakes down. If anyone is too cool for Top Gun, then the, the movie that's coming out that's probably going to hit you square between the eyes is Bob's Burgers, which has finally got a movie coming out. Six seasons in a movie. I don't know what to say about Bob's Burgers, the movie. It's, it's coming out. Are, right? you, are you a Bob's Burgers guy, Chris? I was in grad school when that was popping off. And so I did not have the time or the bandwidth to really follow that as it was going. That and Archer are another one. Like the first few seasons of Archer, I feel like I, I know pretty well, but everything after that is just uh, a big blank space in my brain. So yeah, everything that I've heard and about Bob's Burgers, I love. Uh, it's got you know, an incredible cast. Definitely want to plow through the, the series. There are three people in there in Bob's Burgers that I like genuinely love all of their comedic work. I love all of H. John Benjamin's comedic work going back to like home movies. 
I love all of like Eugene Merman's stand up, really funny, absurdist stuff. And I love like all of uh, Kristen Shaw's uh, stand up and like all of her comedy stuff. Her special from a few years back, which turns into one of the most chaotic things ever, is like a total delight. But yeah, I've never really watched much of Bob's Burgers either. And I don't exactly know why that is. You don't sit through it just because you have to get to the next one. You know, because when you watch them on Sunday nights, it's kind of like, okay, I'll sit through the Great North if I have to, but <laughs> it's not because I want to watch it. No, I haven't even really had that with it. Like I've I've watched it when I've been in other people's houses and they want to put it on or whatever. And I've always liked any of the episodes that I've watched, but for some reason, I just never felt like taking that uh, that next step. It's Simpsons light, I think. It doesn't have that same punch. Simpsons doesn't either, but still there's something there that you can watch and you go okay there's kind of a smart mind going on here Mm -hmm. and i you know maybe it'll work better on a big screen than it does on a small screen it might be really made for that it might be like kind of like chris was talking about just set this whole like section up it might be a pretty smart idea to put this out like uh this weekend because like not everyone's gonna want to go see top gun but they might want to go to the movies so why not have, you know, a movie version of a show that's been on for 12 years and has gotten pretty good viewership. So people are going to go see it. I mean, Top Gun is the, you know, high intensity, high interest. And then I feel like Bob's Burgers is the comfortable, you know, slower paced, lower, not not lower expectations, but the, you know, it's, it's a guaranteed, you know, crowd pleaser, you know, type thing. So, and I guess everyone also who's going to the theater will presumably be, alternating their their trips to you know buy popcorn with catching up on stranger things because we have the the new season of that is coming out on netflix you weren't with me friday night when i was sitting with a bunch of big downton abbey fans that was like i was going to see harry potter and the whatever they were squeezed in that theater to see downton abbey and i think that shows that there is an audience for these series that really you know they're tired of making them they don't want to do it but it's a bigger paycheck let's do it i only have to work 5 or 6 days i'm good and they ate it up i i saw people crying because they thought it was so wonderful i think it it's they found the formula they know what to do now they know what kind of buttons to push and heck, they're pushing them. This is a summer vacation for all of them. They go, let's see now. I have three weeks here. All right, we'll do a Downton and I'll get a good six-figure or seven-figure paycheck out of the whole thing. And it, I thought it worked. It hit all the bells it needed to, but it's not going to surprise you at all. And maybe that's the thing with these TV series is that they have a better life going into the film world. Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, it's it's small stakes for Bob's Burgers. It's, I mean, everything that I know about it, you know, fits the idea of this where it's, you know, they got to save the restaurant from closing, you know, and that's, it's been, you know, done, I guess, but, it's, but yeah, it's small stakes. So um, it, it does not seem like small stakes for, for stranger things, because if I remember right, like the new season of the show, they spent like $30 million an episode, which is 30 million is probably around what it costs to make the whole Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> yeah. If that, I, I think that's maybe even on the high end of it. Yeah, Stranger Things is, I mean, are are you guys excited for, for Stranger Things at all? Or what do you think, Bruce? I have tapped out on that. That's not one that's in my wheelhouse anymore. The kids got too old. And before it had that kind of it quality where you went, okay, yeah, this is cool. Now that they're older, mm, fend for yourself. You don't need me. 
I get that like a, a pandemic has happened. I totally understand that. But like three years is a long time away to hold people's interests in anything, especially for a show that's, you know, not like a critical darling in the same way that like Atlanta or Better Call Saul or some of that stuff is. It's like a popcorn thing. And with like popcorny kind of stuff, you have to keep the mill going. You can't just put it on pause for three years. That's yeah, that's one that Barry had a problem with. I think Barry, people thought Barry was done. And then it came back this year and you go, oh, okay, I guess I could watch that again. But you really lose an audience if you don't keep them coming. And with this concept of streaming, it's like, wow. You know, sometimes I want to eat it all at once. I don't need to dole it out in, in a period of, of time. So who knows? Part of me is just kind of exhausted by the the dialogue around Netflix right now in general with the, you know, the, just the constant L's that the, that, the, that, you know, the entire company is taking one after another. In multiple realms too, like in like, just like hiring and firing, just in terms of their actual like numbers, the like shows they're putting up, it's, it's across the board. It's actually, I, I respect it on some levels to fail in multiple quadrants. That's not easy. Yeah. Um, it's the, you know, Sideshow Bob walking into all the rakes one after another. Uh, and, you know, it, if this doesn't work for them, you know, they've got a whole other chunk that's coming out a month from now, the, you know, volume two, which is going to put a capper on things. And if the first chunk doesn't work, then, you know, it's going to be another nail in, in that coffin, another talking point against them that I'm just, I'm just exhausted by. Should they have thrown as much money at it as, as they did? Maybe. I mean, it's certainly the biggest you know, marquee blue chip thing that they have, you know, as far as, uh, you know, a franchise goes, but it's also something that seems like it's kind of lost a lot of steam and everybody's getting older and in, in the circles that, that I I'm in, as far as talking about things like that first season, everyone was talking about it. And now I, I feel like I've just lost the pulse of where people are on stranger things. So, well, it got them on the map. Stranger things gave them that kind of profile they needed, but now They've got squid games. So see what happens. It just, something else is just sitting in the wings waiting to take its place. And if they don't come out with them in a, a reasonable amount of time, people are gonna disappear. Bridgerton could do the same thing on them. So they've got to keep that, that money horse running in the race. To completely mint a brand new phrase, they got to keep that money horse in the race. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. But you know, the one one to watch is this Hulu FX kind of marriage. I'm not sure exactly what it is and who's going to win out of the whole thing, but FX provides a lot of really good content that Hulu uh, benefits from because they get the, the rub off or the next day play or whatever it might be. But there are interesting things being done on that. And um, the conversations with friends, I believe, just came on. They had normal was it normal people before that? Both based on Sally Rooney novels, yeah. Yeah, and those were interesting things to watch because you knew you wouldn't get them on TV. You wouldn't see that all the time. And they don't care, and that's what I love. With broadcast television, there's these high stakes. You've got to hit an audience. You've got to have so many people, and you've got to keep building. But with these kind of things, they can drop and go. And you'll get that auteur kind of feeling to them that makes you think, you know what, I'm seeing something that's a little better. I always thought like the Indie Channel or Sundance Channel would be something more than Two and a Half Men reruns. 
And that's all you get now. You, I look at night and I think, where are these indie films that I wanted to see? Well, the indie films have become Hulu series, I think. Yeah, and they, I mean, some of those, like you, you talked about, have been some pretty big uh, swings. Like they did the Kate Blanchett, like uh, Mrs. America thing. That was FX on Hulu where she was Phyllis Schlafly. Um, Devs, which we talked about last week, that Alex Garland, uh, uh, just like sci-fi thriller. That was FX on Hulu. So they are definitely using that lane to just take big swings. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of, uh, you know, Alex Garland, Jared, I did not get to see men. Bruce, did you see men over the weekend? No, no. Jared's the only one who saw it. So is there is there a spoiler-free review that you want to that you want to throw at us? And, and any any thoughts? Totally. So I think I maybe have it like right there with the first movie that Alex Garland made, which was Ex Machina, and a little ways behind Annihilation, which came out a couple of years ago, which I still kind of think is one of my favorite movies from the 2010s. I get why people aren't rocking with this one as much like some of the points it's trying to communicate are a little obvious not just the stuff about like men but also like we've seen enough a24 movies at this point that are about like grief and trauma i don't necessarily know if we have to keep going back to that well or not but for a guy that started out as a writer he just has a really good eye for beautiful images and for really hellish images too and he kind of loves having that those two different things collide into one another. And I love that. And so like the final third of the movie or so, it's just like ping ponging or pinballing around rather uh, between like these really beautiful shots and these really repulsive shots and just stuff you're not going to see in any other movie. And for me, that's that's more than enough, especially for a horror movie. If you just want to show me some really weird, really messed up images, that's that's good enough for me sometimes. So was it? Like, oh, my God, I'm glad I went to it. Or was it it's OK? It was because the, the way it ended, like because, like I said, the, the final third is when it really like intentionally goes off the rails. And so, like, when you end in that kind of chaos, that's that's a good way to leave the theater, I think. And how was Rory Kinnear? He was great in all his uh, many forms that he popped up in uh, throughout the movie. He I it was funny at first because, like, it was so, so British that I had to like almost adjust my ears to make sure I was catching everything that they were saying. <laughs> and Jesse Buckley was fantastic. And like, just continues to be great in everything that she's in. Take a, another hard turn from low budget, a 24 horror. We can jump into the new Disney plus series. That's coming out. Obi-Wan Kenobi. The first two episodes are going to be coming out on May 27th. It is a six episode series, I believe. And so it'll be the four weeks following that. Ewan McGregor reprises his role made famous in the beloved and, and equally maligned prequels. And this uh, takes place in between the prequels and A New Hope, I believe. Yep. It's like, it's like 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, which is the third Star Wars episode and like before the ones from the original George Lucas series. Yeah. And similar to Stranger Things, it feels like this just wants to be a movie. It's a uh, it's going to end up being, you know, two plus hours of, of content eventually close to three. 
Star Wars is supposed to be fun. We shouldn't have to try and figure out now where in the hell does this fall or who are these people or why are they like this? I hate that. That's a money <laughs> grab by, on their part just to try and get as much content out under this title. When they bought that, that was a bad thing for Star Wars, I think. It has been. I, I totally think it has been a bad thing. <laughs> the thing with Marvel is when Marvel started, you had no clue that any of this crap was going to hook up. You really didn't. You thought Iron Man was a standalone. Okay. And it's kind of a cheesy little, you know, low budget thing. And then they throw in another one and you go, okay, yeah, I get that. That's all right. And then they come back to another cheesy Iron Man. And you had no idea that these were all going to be the vast thing that it turned out to be. And now you can see with um, Star Wars, get the playbook. We need the Marvel playbook. We must have this. We must have 25 things. And we've got all these things we've got to feed because we have no more new ideas. So it's got to be a theme park ride. It's got to be a TV show. It's got to be a merchandise grab. It's way too much. Part of the problem with trying to do like the Marvel thing with Star Wars is that Marvel was the vision of a couple different people, even when it was back to the comic books or even some of the early movies. The original Star Wars stuff, that's the vision in particular of one guy. And the vision wasn't always the best, which is why he didn't get to direct, you know, Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that. But you can't take something that was originally the vision of one person and then try to do a by committee thing 40 years after the fact. That's not going to it's not going to work out the same. Well, and then look at them try to badmouth uh, Solo, where they say, oh, well, that was just bad casting and we really shouldn't have done that. And no, just a minute here. Maybe you just were a little too greedy and you were trying to get too much of that content out there and you're trying to place the blame on somebody else. Take the hit. Take the hit and say that you did something wrong in the process of all of this. Because WandaVision, look at how that came out. That was perfect. That was a great idea that worked and it tied in well. So instead of trying to copy somebody else's paper, maybe you should write your own original paper. I mean, the way that Disney's been going with the Star Wars movies, you know, the first one, Force Awakens, was a, you know, return to form, stole a lot of the same story beats from, you know, New Hope. And then the second one got a little weirder. And then the third one was them trying to retcon all this other weird stuff and, and they just got lost in the weeds. I really think that that last movie was laughable. And in and, and that respect, I understand why they're not maybe going to make any more Star Wars movies for a while and they're only going to do TV because bad TV can't get clowned on the same way that a, just a really dud of a movie can. And I think that's one where you see creators coming and going and visions getting diluted and sort of the, the same thing, you know, I, Disney started hitting their stride with Star Wars once they started kind of picking off some of the, the creators from Disney. The Mandalorian was pretty much created by Jon Favreau, who was, you know, the, the director of the, the first Iron Man movie. And I know that since then, they've brought in Kevin Feige to be on a bunch of other things. You opened by talking about the prequels are like, beloved or made fun of or whatever i think they're more beloved now in part because people are like oh well at least those were like taking big risks instead of just like trying to just opinion poll as much of these movies as possible which is what the sequel series did and there's also something to be said for you know it's got that snl effect of you know the the best season of snl is the one that was on when you were in middle school you know like that's yep. the 
you've got the kids that were seven, eight, nine years old in 2000 that are, you know, now heading into their thirties and, you know, they, they have a lot of love for that and I can't knock it. You know, it's a, uh, and, and you're absolutely right that, you know, those three movies, the prequels say what you will. They, they were the work of, of a, you know, weird auteur. <laughs> yep. <laughs> better or worse. Um, uh, a man who, a man who loves to wear uh, white Nike shoes and eat at mall food courts as I saw from some recent photos. <laughs> you know, though, he just kind of did the first one as a drop-in where it was like, you were just coming into a world that you never knew. You were supposed to be going to these serials at a theater. And this is just one of them. And you're kind of learning it. And then somebody said, well, let's have more. Let's do one more after this. And then let's go back and get the ones that we didn't get. And that was never part of the concept. There was never this grand plan to give you the whole world. What I think they need to do, this is my advice, like it really means anything, but they have all those planets that apparently they visit. Well, why don't they do something set on one of those planets with a really weird filmmaker? Let a David Cronenberg or somebody go to all of those places and say, this is my Batu, you know, or whatever it would be. Let them do something weird with that. So then it doesn't spoil the, the main kind of thread line they have going with all of this. I, I love that. I can't imagine David Cronenberg being let anywhere near the Disney brand. You know what I mean? If you did yep. something like that, or you had one that was just totally a comedy set on another planet, it had nothing to do with, you know, oh, this is all the, the survival of a world, a universe, or whatever. It doesn't always have to be that. What about people just kind of glumping along with their, with their, their discount droid that they've got, whatever it might be? Part of the problem is that things that, that succeed early on, like with, you know, A New Hope, where it wasn't so much that it was low stakes, but there weren't any larger expectations on it. In the same way that, you know, The Mandalorian, that first season, not any huge expectations, but it ended up popping really, really well. And then all of a sudden at the end of the second season of The Mandalorian, I mean, I don't, it's not really much of a spoiler, but you've got, you know, Luke Skywalker showing up and it's a, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's freighted with all of the you know the context and the the canon and all this other stuff and it's like if you just kind of go back from that and just try to tell good stories then you can totally do that and that's where you're gonna find the the next you know big jumping off point i don't necessarily revel in taking star wars tasks this much but like to that point about skywalker i found it laughable that i think i saw someone from lucasfilm saying recently that you know we're moving on from like uh skywalker stuff in the future and it's like no you're not like you're gonna milk that for as long as you possibly can the illegitimate child of luke skywalker will show up at some point yeah yeah i'm excited for it for obi-wan i'll be there i think i i tend to not have a huge you know horse in this race be, be it be it a money horse or otherwise so as long as it's good which it seems like it could be and it seems like they are you know, over the past three years have kind of figured out how to twist themselves out of the the weird knot that they've gotten themselves into with the movies. What else is coming out? Anything else uh, on the horizon, Bruce? Well, I have a real fun time with the folks from Pistol. And Pistol is coming out uh, the 31st, I believe it is, the first night on. It's one of those FX on Hulu kind of things. So here I am talking about the thing that... Uh, 
I apparently trumpeted. I think Pistol is one of those things you're going to love. It's not that long. It's only six episodes, but it's kind of like an extended movie. And it's about the Sex Pistols and all those around them who kind of changed the way the society looked at young people. And I have an interview with Danny Boyle, who talks about what this format has done for him. He's been very successful as a feature film director. He has an Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. But working in this new world where he gets to kind of play with the toys and doesn't have to worry about, I've got to be done in two hours or else. And then later on, the guy who wrote Pistol, uh, Craig Pierce, also wrote the new Elvis film, the Elvis film that's coming out with Austin Butler. And he talks about how these are kind of real seminal characters in pop culture. I mean, yeah, we always knew Elvis was, but how, what's the connection between all of these? What really brings them together? And how the Beatles differ from all of this and why they're not one of the ones that you would think of right away. I'm excited for that one on two different fronts. I'm excited because the last TV thing that Danny Boyle did was a couple years ago was Trust, which was also on FX, about the uh, the whole Getty kidnapping in the, uh, the 70s. And I really, really enjoyed that show. Like one of the episodes in particular, it's the one where Brendan Fraser's character shows up for the first time as like this just like fourth wall breaking Texan was like one of my favorite episodes of TV from that year. So I'm excited on that front. And then Danny Boyle doing something about the Sex Pistols is all too fitting considering the movie that was his big breakout was Train Spotting, which is very much about a punk ethos too, but one from like the 90s instead of the 70s. So uh, an ideal uh, project for him to do. He's got the aesthetic down. I expect the clubs where the series is going to take place, I'm sure will be very, very much like the toilet that Ewan McGregor <laughs> has to crawl yep. into uh, in, in Train Spotting. Full circle for you and McGregor. Yeah. So yeah, we will um, have the, the interview uh, with Danny Boyle plugged in following this. So please stick around for that. Jared, you want to take us out? Absolutely. Again, this week I'm in a good mood and we just spent a good uh, chunk of this trashing something. So I'm just going to keep it uh, light and fancy free and just say, uh, go to the theaters and uh, see something good over this long weekend, or uh, stay at home and uh, stream something good from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, we've got some good stuff. I mean, men's still gonna be in the theaters and Top Gun, obviously. Bob's Burgers. So, see something good. You can find us on all the, the internet places where you stream your stuff. Subscribe there, follow us on social media, etc. We'll have links to all the movies and stuff that we talk about in the show notes. So find all of that in the show notes and tell your friends about us. And we will be back next week with more interviews and good stuff. But for now, here is Danny Boyle talking with Bruce Miller about Pistol. Hey, Danny, how are you? Hello, Bruce. Yeah, very well, you? I'm hanging in here. That's all I can say, right? Good, good man. That's all we can do. What is it about underdogs that you really like? Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's, you, you, you know, you, you, I spent a lot of my career doing interviews like this, talking about how I always try and do everything different, that each project is going to be different. But actually, when you look back, they're all the same. <laughs> they're all about, virtually all of them are about an underdog. And, and the Pistols were classic underdogs. They were uneducated, illiterate in, 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 in Steve's case. 
and pretty worthless, viewed as pretty worthless and vile. And yet they turned that opinion that society had of them into absolute gold. You know, this, this music that detonated Britain. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it ricocheted around the world, really, but I know what happened in Britain is that it was a, a shift, an absolute shift, because it was rigid Britain, absolutely. I remember it vividly. Did it change you, you? Yes, I, I came from a similar background to them, and you followed your father in, in jobs, in terms of what you looked like. You started looking like your father, whether you liked it or not. You started dressing like him. And, they, and I love that about dress, that they went, no, 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 you're now going to wear a T-shirt with two male naked men with penises on it. <laughs> it's just like, and it's like you're going to wear a Gestapo T-shirt and you're just going to blow up what people's, what will offend people. You are just going to march into that. And they were doing it because it, they had to in order to disrupt what was there. And what was there was deference, this terrible deference that your betters knew better and they said, no, they don't. They're just qualified. So they think they're better than you. They're not. What matters, as Malcolm said, is not whether you're qualified, it's whether you've got anything to say. <laughs> and that's why they put about that they couldn't play instruments, because they wanted to be proud of how unqualified they were. How bad in fact, they were. They could play, but in right. fact, they couldn't play. How do you do that with yourself now? Yeah, yeah it comes across in the work, I think. I, I kind of channel it into a kind of energy. And I disrespect, although there are fewer and fewer of them, I disrespect my elders. I think that's really important. You don't have to do it in a rude way, you know, if you're not particularly drawn to being a rude person, but you don't do what you're told. It's a simile of that. Well, you don't say, you're not going to hurt anybody. That's, not, that's important not to damage anybody, but it's also important to just not do what you're told. Yeah, basically. That's, the that's the problem becomes, though, there are no elders left. We become yes, so old that we don't have anybody to disrespect, right? That's the only problem. That is the problem. Yes, I know it's true. <laughs> Do you like this limited series kind of format? Is this better for you than just doing a film of them? I enjoyed it. It's very hard to hold it in your head because I directed the six episodes. I can hold about three in my head at the one time. And by that, I mean, I know exactly what I've shot and I know where it is and et cetera, et cetera. You can't really do that with six hours. So you, you do, sometimes you do think, have we shot that? I think we have, have we shot it? You know, it's like, it's a bit like that sometimes, which I don't just think is failing memory. I think it's that the load is too much. Whereas three hours, you know, a regular film, two to three hours, you cut it down from three hours, but that's the amount of material you've got is ideal. But obviously the opportunities are you can tell a story like this in the way we have which is much more chaotic than any film could be. When you have actors who have been around for a while and done a number of things, and then you just pick somebody who's never done anything, how difficult is that to mesh them into one kind of unit, if you will? I think it's easier in a funny kind of way because they don't bring any baggage. They bring very little baggage, which is a, partly a, it meant there's a workload they have to take on board of research to find out about the 70s and about the pistols and, and all that kind of stuff. But it also means that they're a tabla rasa, they're blank in a way, and they're waiting and they're longing to be written upon, you know, to be, to be introduced to ideas. And so it was wonderful, actually. And obviously we had, in this, we had a very special advantage, which is that we had band camp where they had to learn to be musicians and then to form a group. And that gives a cohesion about them working together. 
that they're all going to pull together, even though they're playing a band who pulled apart the whole time. They, as actors, are pulling together. So that was a huge advantage, I think. Did you miss it when it was over? Did you say, oh, I miss those guys. I want to be with them. Yeah, big time. I really miss it. I really miss the editing as well. I, I've only finished editing a few weeks ago, and I really miss that because it was kind of, just to go back to your point about the series, to have so much material to edit is wonderful. You know, it's a dream for a director and an editor. I had a great editor, John Harris, and it was very special to be able to edit that. So I did miss them when we, when we parted with them, and we spent the last two weeks in Texas, traveling around Texas together on a bus. So it was a really nice way to finish it, gathering that material. But then I missed them again when I finished the editing, you know. Ah, well, it's a, it's a great project. And I, it's so fun to watch. It's very fun to watch. So thank you so much. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Excellent. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you so much to Danny Boyle for taking the time to talk with us about his new show, Pistol, about the Sex Pistols, which will be on Hulu May 31st. We will have links to that show as well as everything else that we talked about in this episode in our show notes. So make sure you check all that out if you want to follow up on any of the stuff that we talked about. Uh, we'll also have links to all the social media places where you can find us, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you all so much for listening. We hope that you were doing really well out there and uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, see something good. They got to keep that money horse in the race. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs>